Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Christian Conspiracy Theory. We are your host, Matthew and Aaron Miller, and tonight we're going to be talking about Satan's Fall and Foo Fighters. Me and my son got to talking about this the other day, and we thought it was a pretty good topic to discuss. So, Aaron, uh... First, tell me about the fall of Satan as it pertains to the Bible. What kind of information can we glean from that text particularly? Well, first of all, everybody knows about the fall of Satan, of course, by Revelation chapter 12. This is what they all quote when they're referring to it. So here's where we will begin. And I'm starting with Revelation chapter 12, verse 3 to 4, which says, then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven horns, seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that, she, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So that's the first... Um, reference to this uh, this event. And people, of course, connect this to another part that's later mentioned in the verse, which is in uh, verse 7, which says, And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Well, let me say this about that particular verse. We have things going on in the Greek here that people can't see. Because they're wanting to put a time to this, but that particular a word used there, to throw, which is balo, it is... Um, G906 in the Strong's, they fail to realize that that's in the error's tense. And a lot of people can't understand that part of the Greek, that you can do things with the Greek that you cannot do in English. You just, you just can't do it. So, that's one of the big things uh, that I immediately say 
whenever you're talking about this and you're talking about time. Because the aorist tense in the Greek is not future. It's not present. It's not past. And many people don't realize that this aorist aspect is a generic... Uh, well, yeah, that'd be a good way to put it. A generic word in the Greek. It literally does not have tense. It means that this is a very good way to put something if you're not wanting to attribute time to it. So, that's a very important thing to to tell people that are not familiar, particularly with the Greek and what the Greek is doing in the Bible. If they don't understand that, they really can't get a hold as to whether this has happened or it will happen. Now, it, when when we go up, you'll take note that you also quoted verse 4. And it says in the KJV, And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. Here we're running in the same exact thing again, Aaron. Here you have it again. You have the balo, which is to throw uh, or to cast. You run into it right there again. This is in the aorist tense. He's not giving you. He is specifically eluding the time factor. Now, the most prominent verse everybody likes to quote in the New Testament concerning this event is when Jesus comes right out and says it. He just he just says it in some translations worded a different way, that, but they all basically uh, follow the King James. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. This is a good way to, to put it. Because here we're uh, getting the same type of thing in English. But just take note that when you look at the Greek, open it up, Take a look at it. Well, you're running into the same exact thing because even though this is uh, the Greek word G4098, and it does mean to fall, guess what? That's in the aorist tense. Now, most specifically, we can definitively say this, that Christ most certainly could have used this tense. Because he's, of course, the Son of God. He knew what was, what is, and what will be. But when you take the hardcore facts, the verses you just mentioned, it is not in past tense, it's not in present tense, and it's not in future tense. Now, there is a reason why uh, this would all line up and make sense. Because if you go to uh, Matthew 24 and take a read of that, you have to understand that uh, most people don't realize uh, that the person referred to in the verses by Christ when it says the day and hour. Nobody will know the day nor the hour. You have to realize, Aaron, that right there, he's not talking about himself. He's not. Now, that comes as a, as a surprise to most people, okay? But they don't realize... That in this context, he is not speaking 
of himself. He says, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Do you understand that? Yeah. So, when you look at the entire verse and the entire chapter, you'll take note what goes on in verse 50. He says, the master of that slave will not know on a day when he does not expect and in an hour which he does not know. Once again, the reference here is to the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne. It's time when crack, when time itself is going to be separated. Now, with that in mind, Revelation is true. That is when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen after the event of the great day of who, who sitteth upon the throne. Time is going to be changed after that event, making it impossible to put this on this particular time frame because you can't. You literally can't do it. So, if people would just look at the Greek and exactly what is stated when he's saying it, he's making himself perfectly clear. So, with that in mind, the time aspect, this is an event that has not yet happened. Well, I mean, I'm, I've opened up to John twelve thirty one. The only time we're given is this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the prince of this world be cast out. That is the KJV. It cut out the future tense. I'm sorry. This is the NASB moved over. Now, judgment is upon the, this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. That is future tense when you open up the Adira Regia. Mm -hmm. That is the morphological code. And right. which, which throws you off is that he says, that, the, that Christ says, now, yet he says, he will be. Right, making it an event horizon, but you're right. That verb there used to eject or to... Uh, to cast out, that's G1540, uh, it is future tense. No doubt about it. But this verse is very rarely brought up in the casting down of Satan. They usually refer to those verses in uh, Revelation that, that you already brought up, and the one in Matthew 24. Very seldomly have I heard people comment on this verse right here. But you're right. The, the KJV says it very clearly. Now, okay, from this point, from this point right here, he will be cast out. The prince of this world. No doubt about it. So you can definitively say, well, this, uh, the New American Standard Bible puts it the same exact way. It says now as well. And it's appropriate that they do. Because in Greek, that's nun. That is G3558. That's exactly what it should be. No, um, 3568. Or 68. Yeah. Really? No, really? <clears throat> yeah. So, um, okay. let's, uh, now let's try to understand what's being said. He says now, and then shall, which now being present, and then shall being future. 
we're pointing out this. He says, now from this point on, his time is coming. Right, that's, that's, that's what I just said. He gave you an event horizon. He's saying, it hasn't happened before me. He's saying now, in the future. So from the day he said this, it's a future event sometime after he spoke this. Yes, and so this gives you the event horizon of Christ. The, the coming of Christ was the beginning of his time. Let's, let's go back to Revelation chapter uh, 12, which says, um, in chapter in verse 5, right after um, the dragon swept down the third of the stars, it says, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. And, it, and back to verse 4, And his tail swept, swept away a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that she, that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. The coming of Christ was the beginning of his time. This is why Christ says that I was, I was seeing in that era tense that he was, he would, or, well, I can't even say that. He saw, uh, no tense, sorry. <laughs> right. But he was seeing Satan so, fall. Right, and, and he could do that, correct? Yeah. Because he was the son of God. He could do that. He could he could see it. Yeah, it just gave it, it gave me a little time to stutter there for a minute because I can't say he saw because that's that gives tense to it. Right, exactly. That yeah, it it certainly helps that it has that now there that perception of time. But, like I said, this being after the sixth seal event, this event obviously being after Isaiah chapter 24. Yeah. Time is, time is not going to work the same when this event happens. God yeah. comes right out and states himself plainly and clearly that he will strike one-third of the day and one-third of the night. How many hours is in your day right now, Aaron? 24. He comes right out and tells you, making sure you understand. He says, I take one-third of the light out of the stars, one-third out of the light from the heavenly bodies, one-third of the day, one-third of the night. Whether you like it or not, you're going to a 16-hour day. Now, with that in mind, his statements, his other statements, make perfect clarity as to why he didn't use a tense. He was specifically letting you know that this time in Isaiah chapter 24, when God traps them here in a cage, time is differently. This also lends hints and credence as to what uh, he says in the book of Daniel, uh, which a lot of people don't realize, literally what is being come out and said about times, time, and half of time. Literally, Aaron, they don't realize that that is Peleg there, that, that is H3687. It's, he's saying, time and time and the dividing of time. Yes, he's obviously talking about the duration of this will certainly be 1,260 days. He's, he said that. 
That's correct. But prophetically, what he just said was, there's going to be a time, and another time, and a division of time. Yes. And as, as however you people, um, whatever time you give to this event of the fall, there is no, no, no doubt that a fall will occur in the last days. Because Revelation chapter 6, verse 13 says, And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. This is a fall indeed. Um, because we can go... This is, this is all over the Bible, just to begin with. That this fall will occur in the last days. We be, I'll start with Daniel uh, chapter 8. And this is chapter 8, verse 9. And it says, Out of one of them came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the beautiful land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and caused some of the host of, and some of the stars to fall to the earth, and it trampled them down. It magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host, and it removed the regular sacrifice from him. And the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. And on account of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn, along with the regular sacrifice. And it will fling the truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. That's right. Do you know what the Greek says here in this verse, verse 12? What does it say? This specifically is the sacrifice that was uh, performed during twilight time. It was the one at sun up and the one at sundown. And you cannot get around the simple fact that the Greek contains the word parallax. He's literally telling you that the stars that were marked in the evening and the morning, you know much about this. Yeah. We, know, uh, we know what everybody else knows, right? Uh, the standard data is, uh, you know, oh, Lucifer, son of the morning. And then Jesus said he's uh, you know, the bright morning star. That's what they were doing with this particular evening and morning sacrifice. There's no way around it. It's the only time this word is used. And in this verse, he uses parallax, letting you know that the evening and morning stars at this time is not going to appear in the proper place. Now, this even uh, 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 magnifies what else is said that a lot of people know that's uh, uh, obviously in Daniel. Uh, that he changes the times, uh, some of them say, and the uh, 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 dates and times. That is correct. He's literally coming out and saying here, prophetically, uh, that time is going to be skewed. So, literally, when you put this two and two together and realize that verse 10 of the, ver of the chapter you just read, that is the event of Revelation chapter 12. That's when it happens. So he's telling you that when this does happen, time is going to be messed up. Hence why in the book of Revelation, after the sixth seal event, you see that one-third of time is taken off the day and night. Literally, our procession through the heavens is going to be changed. That's why here in the Greek, you can't get around it. It uses the word parallax. Well, I mean, what we all should know what. All these people should know is that it doesn't say regular sacrifice. 
in Hebrew. It, right. That word sacrifice isn't present. That word regular is. And right. it basically means a continual or daily sacrifice, uh, something that happens daily. That's right. And that's translators point that to the daily sacrifice that the Hebrews uh, had. Right, which is what the Greek quotes. That, that, that Greek word here used for sacrifice is only used in the definitive evening and morning sacrifice, the daily sacrifice that was to be perpetual. It was every day at twilight time, in the evening and in the morning. And that is the specific time they would mark, uh, they would obviously realize which star was the evening star and which star was the morning star. It could have been uh, Mars, it could have been Jupiter, but they would mark those off. So, no doubt he's talking about not only the host of heaven, and we talked about that on the last broadcast that a lot of people don't understand what that means, the armies of heaven, or the angels, uh, he's here prophetically speaking about those and the physical stars, the physical planets. Yes, that's why it says the host and the stars were cast down. So, with all of this in mind, you know, uh, a lot of people think uh, that you can draw correlations with, well, UFOs. With things falling to earth, with things happening in the heavens. Now, have you took a look at historical instances uh, that beyond any shadow of a doubt, something definitely happened and we have record of? There are all over the ancient texts um, supposed uh, recordings of uh, UFOs or something like that, but nothing as astounding as what happened in 1561 and 1566. Uh, and they were outstanding uh, celestial phenomenon, which those people described as a war going on in their skies. All right, well, what, what kind of evidence do we have? Did they, they have them in a book? How many people saw this phenomenon? Well... I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, an article, and it says it was a mass sighting. So, uh, witnesses, uh, yeah, it doesn't really give me a direct how many people were there. I'm looking at the one in 1561. Mm-hmm. But it just said a mass sighting. That's right. Uh, you get the the facts from, well, the news. It was a broadsheet news article printed in uh, April uh, 1561. It describes the mass sighting. Everybody's seen it, and it's an illustrated with a woodcut engraving uh, by Hans Glazier. Now, the document is archived in the print drawings uh, in uh, Switzerland. There's no contestation. There is no let me repeat myself. No one at the time contradicted this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. No one. Now, what will blow your mind is in the text of the broadsheet, they come right out and they speak all about God in the last portion of it, but nobody quotes from that. Do you have that handy? Yes. 
I do. I want you to read that whole thing to the end because nobody ever gets it. They never include the final, I think, four or five lines of the news article. Uh, but read the whole thing. Let's just take a listen to it and let's just try to swallow it because you have to swallow it. Yes. Aaron, the entire town saw it. There's no debate. This this thing happened. So let's just read the whole thing and be done with it. Go ahead. In the morning of April 14, 1561, at daybreak, between 4 and 5 a.m., a dreadful apparition occurred on the sun. And then this was seen in New Nuremberg, in the city, before the gates, and in the country, by many men and women. At first there appeared in the middle of the sun two blood-red semicircular arcs, just like the moon in its last quarter. And in the sun, above and below, and on both sides, the color was blood. There stood a round ball of partly dull, partly black, furish color. Likewise, there stood on both sides, and as a torus about the sun, such blood-red blood ones, and other balls in large number, and three in a line and four in a square, also some alone. In between these globes, there was visible a few blood-red crosses, between which there were blood-red strips, becoming thicker in the rear in front, and in the front malleable like rods of reed grass, which were intermingled along with two big rods, one on the right and the other on the left. And within the small and big rods, there were three, also four and more globes. These all started to fight among themselves, so that the globes, which were first in the sun, threw out the ones standing on both sides. Thereafter, the globes standing outside the sun, and then the small and large rods flew into the sun. Besides, the globes flew back and forth among themselves and fought vehemently with each other for over an hour. And when the conflict in and out, <clears throat> and when the conflict in and again out of the sun came was most intense, they became fatigued to such an extent that they all, as said above, fell from the sun down to the earth as if they all burned and they then wasted away on the earth in intense smoke. After all this, there was something like a black spear, very long and thick, slighted, sighted. The shaft pointed towards the east, and the point pointed west. Whatever such signs mean, God alone knows. Although we have seen, shortly one after another, many signs, many kinds of signs on the heaven which are sent to us by the Almighty God to bring us to repentance. We still are, unfortunately, so ungrateful that we despise, that we despise such high signs and miracles of God, or we speak of them with ridicule, ridicule and discard them to the wind in order that God may, may send us a frightening punishment on account of our ungratefulness. After all, the God-fearing will by no means discard these signs. But we'll take we'll take it to heart as a warning of their merciful Father in heaven. We'll amend their lives and faithfully beg God that He may avert His wrath, including the well-deserved punishment on us, so that we may temporarily hear 
and did perpetually there live as his children. For it, may God grant us his help. Amen. Well, you've got a serious problem with history right there. Because between starting in 1561 through to 1670, there was 3,229 witches that were executed in Germany by burning. And what's baffling about this is that it keeps referring to the to the globes that were in the sun, and they were fighting against some, and the and they were cast down. Uh, and that seems to bring me back to Revelation chapter twelve. It certainly does. And what catches your attention is what were the colors of the two globes? Blood red and black. Blood red and black. Does that not re remind you of the sun turning to uh, black like sackcloth and the moon being turned to blood? It's baffling. And I'm bringing us back to Revelation chapter 12, and it says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon upon her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. This is the first sign that John sees before he sees the great red dragon, who is Satan. And we all point to the fact that it's pretty clear that the woman is uh, symbolically Israel. But, sh but here we're brought back to the sun, and these beings keep moving in and out of it. And I also recall a place in the scriptures where... Um, an angel was offered food, and uh, he said to burn it as a sacrifice. And when it was set on fire, he traveled up through the fire into heaven. What instance am I talking of? Well, what you're talking of is the combinations of things that happened. I mean, we have more than this. I mean, we, ha uh, we know that uh, before this event... An angel come down and wrestled, correct? Yes. In this instance, uh, we have a magnificent battle portrayed after the event of being offered food and water underneath the tree. Something certainly uh, happened, no doubt about it, uh, with the overthrow in that valley. Now, you and I have talked about that before. What happened in the Valley of Sedim? There was a great war between the um, w between nine kings, but uh, one side was mo mostly ruled by the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and one side by Kedarlomar, uh, king of Elam. And in your research, do you think that has anything to do with the angels bound? Well, uh, that uh, came before the the fire that came down on Sodom and Gomorrah. But in this, uh, I think it must have been the first, uh, the second time that the angels were bound. There was first the first incursion that happened before the flood, that was uh, brought about by the angel we know as Azazel, which is. Uh, which the book of Enoch is really clear about. This fall is mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, which uh, a lot of our people listening may know. 
A second must have occurred because sometime after the flood, because giants are mentioned all over the scriptures after uh, during the time of Moses and basically from the time of Abraham up. And there's even a mention of it, uh, Nimrod being a giant hunter in Genesis chapter 10, which is not clear to us in our language. It's all, uh, in most translations, it says a mighty hunter, but uh, that word, Gibor, is used for giant in the Hebrew. And we wouldn't have been directed that way if the Septuagint hadn't brought us out. It says he was a giant hunter. And there were giants going on sometime after the flood, and we don't know, we're not sure of from where, but uh, specifically Sodom and Gomorrah points this out because people from all quarters of the town showed up to, um, the best way to say, uh, abuse the, angel who's, who, the angels who came to uh, bring Lot out of the city. And we know how all that went down. Right. And, of course, the New Testament speaks that the problem with those angels is they didn't protect themselves. So we're going to save that for another broadcast, certainly. Um, yes. Every man, well, woman, and child in that city was after that angelic, well, let's just use the biblical terms, spermata, after the seed. But we're going to save that for another time. Yes, but we were but, pointing towards uh, a war going on yes. and, and an angelic, uh, something angelic going on as well. And even in uh, uh, in Daniel chapter... 10, it's pretty clear that uh, there was, that Gabriel was meddling in some sort of battle between um, the Persians, uh, between the prince of Persia. Mm -hmm. So there's battles that go on in the celestial places that uh, coincide with things going on on Earth. And there's many instances with the uh, so-called flying saucers and things where they just appeared right in the middle of a war going on. That's right. Uh, we have more than a few of those. Um, one of the things that, you know, I want to bring out is that uh, in this instance, and I'll read it, after all this, there was something like a black spear, very long and thick, sighted, the shaft pointed to the east, the point pointed west. Let me say this. Whatever was happening, a big reason why we would not have a biblical foretelling of this particular event was it would seem to me that at the time, angels were trying to, well, as it mentions in the Greek, alter parallax. Now with that in mind, this text makes it perfectly clear that these, these heavenly bodies were destroyed. You caught that, right? Yes. He made his... He made it perfectly clear that they were cast down and were burned up, correct? Yes. And it even explains... It even describes smoke coming up from it. That's they, right. Where they fell. That's right. So, these heavenly objects were exterminated. And it would seem to me that this black spear, God put down and laid the law that no, 
the ecliptic is going to be this way. The equator is going to be this way. The heavenly bodies are going to stay in place until I say so. Now, the last thing I want to mention, and I hate to bring this up, but there's just no way around it. In these modern times, you realize the prophecy in Jude, verse 8, has come true. Because I made you read the whole thing, and he come out way clear, stating that so we all went to repentance, we was afraid, and we have historical documentation that during this time, they burned thousands of witches. Now, I have to read this first. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. So, I want you to remember that, Aaron, as we continue to talk, and we can talk about describing them as flying saucers and all of that. But as we go forward, you need to keep in the back of your mind... Be careful what you say, because all of these other people that talk about these things, they say that they are not angelic majesties. They, of course, say that they're um, aliens. And when you do that, don't you realize that's like calling anything proper? It's calling that thing something else, whether it be a car. It'd be like calling a car a truck. It would be like accusing a, a dog of being a cat. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. So, with that in mind, what's the really next big event you can put your finger on? We got proof of it. What's your, what's your next, next time in history that happens? 1566. Which is five years later after this event, another war that they say occurred in the sky, okay. this time over Basel. Switzerland. Switzerland. So different place five years later. Really? Well, what's your documentation on that? I mean, I, I, know, I know some about those events, but what documentation do you got on it? How many people saw this? A few... It says many low. It was a mass sighting. Another mass sighting. Okay, in this instance, do you have what the release said? Yes. Um, it says it happened in fifty fifteen sixty six three times on the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of July, and on August seventh against the sunrise and sunset, we saw strange shapes in the sky above Basel. During the year 1566, on the 27th of July, after the sun had shone warm on the clear, bright skies, and around 9 p.m., it suddenly took a different shape and color. First, the sun lost all its radiance and luster, and it was no bigger than the full moon. And finally, it seemed to weep tears of blood, and the air behind him went dark, and he was seen by all the people of the city and the countryside in which the same way also the moon, which was already been almost full and has shone through the night almost an almost blood color in the in the sky. 
The next day, Sunday, the sun rose at about 6 o'clock and slept until the same appearance it had when it was lying before. He lit the houses and the streets and around as if everything was blood red and fiery. At the dawn of August 7th, we saw large black spheres coming and going with great speed and participation before the sun and shattered as if they had as if they led a fight. Many of them were fiery red and soon crumbled and then extinguished. We're given a color here constantly, red, blood red. What's the color of the dragon? Well, exactly. And black as well. They mentioned black ones as well. Right? So, once again, uh, black is sackcloth and red is blood. Now, this is over, you said this was over Switzerland? Yes. Do you know anything about, uh, what do you know anything about the 80 Years War? Do you know anything about what's happening in Switzerland? Let me explain this to you, son. 1566 was when Switzerland revolted against the King of Spain. This was extremely bloody and uh, very interesting things happened over the whole thing. But this was when uh, Sweden got its freedom from the Spanish Empire. So, and, and you need to understand, this had everything to do with, once again, uh, heresies. I, I hope you realize that. Um, let me read a little bit from here. King Philip II of Spain, in his capacity to overlord the Habsburg Netherlands, forcibly continued the anti-heresy policies of his father, Charles V. This caused growing resistance among the moderate nobility and population, both Catholic and dissenting factions of the Netherlands. This mood of resistance first led to peaceful protest, but in the summer of 1566, erupted in violent protest by the Calvinists, also known as the Iconoclastic Fury. Well, there now, was something also going in the... In 1561 among the church as well. That's right. Well, first, so I, I want I want you all uh, to make to understand where our timeline is coming from. We're talking about 19, 1566, the second uh, celestial event. Well, I'm going back to 1561 where the first occurred. Okay. And a fire occurred on. St. Paul's Cathedral, and it wasn't natural. Here's what it says. On the 4th of June, 1561, the spire caught fire and crashed through the nave roof. It says the subsequent conflagration was hot enough to melt the cathedral's bells and lead, and the lead covering the the wood spire poured down like lava upon the roof. What? This so, event was taken by both Protestants and Catholics as a sign of God's displeasure at the other at the other faction's actions. Queen Elizabeth contributed towards the cost of repairs, and the Bishop of London, Edmund Grindle, gave one hundred and twenty 
euros, although the spire was never rebuilt. No, 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 wait a minute. You said it melted the bell? Yeah. It melted the key, the cathedral's bell, and the lead covering the wooden spire poured down the lava, poured down like lava upon the roof. And the whole church wasn't destroyed? This was, it said, um, yeah, it destroyed the, at least the roof. That's as far as I can see. Well, I hope to shout, because it got hot enough to do that. Well, I, I, I don't see how it's, I mean, this is 1561. Yeah. Uh, the construction, now, the construction at the time, Aaron, that would have went up like a match. That would have torched the whole church. Well, now, you're sure that the whole church didn't burn? I mean, how did this happen up in the bell tower? It says uh, it was the cause of a lightning strike. Well, that is... It just basically says it was the roof. That's all it says here. The roof was destroyed. The nave of the roof. Yeah, that's what it means. Wow. Um... And that... <laughs> That's the part that would be pointed up towards heaven. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not debating you. It's just. Yeah, that was definitely uh, uh, getting people's attention when the bell was hot enough to be turned to molten lava without. I mean, I don't see how it's possible that the whole church wasn't torched at that temperature. Yes, and um, to give more time here, the uh, this event happened in June of 1561, and the first celestial uh, war was in April of that year. So, this, so, this war happened before the cathedral was burned. Well, the roof part. Right. Well, extremely interesting indeed. We have two celestial events um, almost identical, not the same place, two different places five years later, with major ramifications, uh, well, with witch trials and wars between uh, the Calvinist iconoclast, which maybe we need to uh, talk about that for a minute, uh, and the Catholics, because remember, you're, that's what was going on here. Uh, one king, uh, uh, his religion was one or the other, and the people was different. And this, of course, uh, caused much, much bloodshed. But uh, the Calvinist at the time, uh, they this persecution arose because they were saying that the Catholics were iconoclast. Now, most people don't know what that is. Um, do you know what that is, Aaron? And can you speak uh, about some about that? Well, me, an iconoclast means a destroyer of images used to religious worship in yes. particular. Yes, idol worship. Exactly. The Calvinists were accusing the Catholics of being idol worshippers. So you can imagine, well, I mean... People just don't realize that this is the backdrop of a lot of the blood that was spilt at the time. 
It was actually Protestants fighting against Catholics. So... Which event are we going towards? Uh, you can talk about whatever you want to. Do you have another event in time where you got a lot of credible witnesses? I, I don't... You know, I we don't need to waste time with uh, this lady and her husband that said they seen something. I want a mass sighting with credible people. Do you have one such like that? Uh, I have the Foo Fighters. Oh, excellent, yeah. The officers on both sides of the fence. Uh, definitely. Yeah, go ahead and talk about that for a minute. Alright. Well, the Foo Fighters were basically balls of light. Disc-like sometimes, and they glue and shone. And we're given a dis description of about how these Foo Fighters appeared um, when England entered the war long before the U.S. Um, in 1943 throughout the war. There were sightings going on all over the place. Uh, but the best sighting we have here... Give me a moment. Well, the best one we know of is November 1944, when pilots were flying over Eastern Europe by night, reported seeing fast-flying, round, glowing objects following their aircraft. The objects were various variously described as fiery and glowing red, white, or orange. Some pilots described them as resembling Christmas tree lights and supported that they seemed to toy with the aircraft, making wild turns before simply vanishing. Pilots and aircrew reported that the objects flew formation with their aircraft and behaved as if they were under intelligent control, but never displayed hostile behavior. They could not... Well, there, there were some in uh, 1941 uh, over the Indian Ocean uh, by a Polish merchant vessel. Really? Transporting British troops. Well, I know from, from my research that everybody was reporting these. Uh, all the fighter pilots on both sides, the Axis and the Allies, everybody's seen them. So, yeah, well, I recall that one side kept calling the other, um, uh, accusing one of using experiments in aircraft, and the the other side says, we thought it was you. That's right. Now, you realize during the same time is when the infamous Battle of Los Angeles took place, right? In 1944? It was, no, it was 42. 42. So, read some about that, if you uh, have anything there you can look at to read it, because that's pretty interesting, because this got in the papers. Nobody debated this. It actually happened. So, this is a pretty important one, too. Um, and its timing was pretty important. People were scared anyway. But, uh, read some about that if, if you've got something up on it. Well, I just opened something up. It says, uh, On February 24th, 1942, Naval Intelligence issued a warning that an attacked 
could be expected within 10 hours. That evening, a large number of flares and blinking lights were reported from the vicinity of defensive plants. An alert was called at 7.18 p.m. and was lifted at 10.23 p.m. Renewed activity began early in the morning of the 25th. Air raid sirens sounded at 2.25 a.m. throughout Los Angeles County. A total blackout was ordered and thousands of air raid wardens were summoned to their positions. At 3.16 a.m. and 30, uh, at the 37th Coast Artillery Brigade began firing. 50 caliber machine guns and 12.8 round anti-aircraft shells into the air were shot into the air at reported aircraft. Over 1,400 shells would evidently be fired. Pilots of the 4th Perceptor Command were alerted, but their aircraft remained grounded. The artillery fired continued sporadically until 4.14. The all-clear was sounded and the blackout order lifted at 7.21 a.m. Several buildings and vehicles were damaged by self-fragments, and five civilians died as an, as an indirect result of the anti-aircraft fire. Three killed in car accidents in the ensuing chaos, and two of heart attacks attributed to the stress of the long hour occasion. Action. Uh, sorry. The long action. The long hour long action. The incident was front page news along the U.S. Pacific coast and across the nation. No doubt about it. There was something there. Something there that they never hit. Now, you don't expend 1,400 12.8 pound anti-aircraft shells without a target, Aaron. Yeah. You just don't. So, they were definitely seeing something, and something was definitely there. Now, what do you make of these Foo Fighters? Well, first of all, I think of the Stars of Heaven. And their descent, and their basically just playing with the aircrafts, unsure why. And it's also interesting to find that uh, green balls of fire were seen on July 16th, um, 1945. And this happened not long after the first uh, detonation of the Trinity Site nuclear detonation. That's the first atomic weapon to be detonated in history. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, uh, would, should we think that these were caused, this phenomenon in the skies were caused by the nuclear action, or these entities appeared concerning this? I would definitely say the latter, without any shadow of a doubt. You've seen nuclear detonations before, right? Yeah. I've, I mean, I've made you watch documentaries. Not of the entertainment industry. You've watched the bomb at Hiroshima. I mean, you saw the cloud, the pilots flying over it, they recorded it. Did you see that then, son? 
Yeah. Did you see any of these green streaks on that footage? No. I mean, we have hundreds of nuclear uh, detonations recorded on film. I mean, we even have the Tsar Bomba explosion that the Russians did. No such aerial phenomena noted. So, it being at this event horizon, I would most certainly say that it was an angelic presence either set to investigate or to restrict. I mean, that being said, that being said, it's obvious that um, perhaps this first one was not going according to plan, and uh, they really were going to do something that was going to be catastrophic, and you had angelic involvement to prevent that thing, whatever it was. Or even for observation. Who knows? That's above my pay grade. But you saying that, uh, you know, this was just due to this uh, nuclear development, no, because we have plenty of nuclear detonations and plenty of people's recorded it and it wasn't recorded then. So this must have been special. Now, that being said, the big historical instances we have here, uh, obviously, the first one, uh, everybody was readily saying that mm, they needed to repent because God had just did something, gave them some sort of sign. And with the arrow that was pointed out, I most certainly agree with the person that wrote that article. God had stepped in and stopped something. Now, we don't know if it was Michael or whatever, but one thing stands clear. There's no, read to, there's no reason to mention this in the biblical text because they all saw it with their own eyes. Entities were exterminated. And they were exterminated in like fashion as had been done at Sodom and Gomorrah. They were not thrown down in the cage as depicted in Isaiah chapter 24, in the book of Revelation, that's, no, no, no. This was something else. They were exterminated. Well, that could, that could be something metaphorical that they were exterminated. I mean, were they really seeing this happen, or were they seeing some representation in the heavens? That's what this guy was telling us. His name was, I better find out what his name was. His name was Hans Glazer. He was the painter who made that picture. Um, he, from what I just read, he believed it was a sign in heaven, and it meant something. So the question was, was he really seeing these entities battle, or were they a sign of something that was happening or would happen? Whatever happened, God wanted all those people to know. Beyond any shadow of a doubt. I mean, he, he, he plainly wrote, and like I said, nobody debated with this at the time. He said, after all, the God-fearing people will by no means discard these signs. And like I said, this is when the winch, the, uh, the witch hunts was initiated, was this very year. So, no doubt about it. This was not his personal thoughts on the matter. He was stating it. Uh, as a matter of factly, this was the common thought of the people. And 
like I said, between this event uh, and 1670, 3,229 witches were burned. Well, in this place that this was seen, um, Nuremberg, or they saw this. Right. This was in the Holy Roman Empire. Not only that, it was called the unofficial capital, particularly because the imperial diet and courts met at Nuremberg Castle. Off the charts. So, Aaron, what what do you say? Everybody else says that Satan has fallen. They even say that he's in hell right now. Just tell me what your studies have brought you to what conclusion? Well, my studies have pointed me towards the fall of Satan has did not occur before time began, like everybody says. Not before man was created and all that. I think this battle may ha is either is yet to occur or has occurred in recent, very recent times. And whether or not that's my studies have pointed towards this fall as Satan himself. But you cannot deny that there is a fall that will occur in these last days. And the Bible plainly states that whenever that event happens, he's not going back up to heaven. No. And like where you said, and even if you people say that Satan was cast into hell, we, Revelation chapter 12 is pretty clear, he was cast down to earth. That's right. Or will be. But Satan and his angels have been or will be cast down to the earth. That's right. So, when does... So what happens when... Jesus gets back. What happens to Satan? He will be bound in the abyss. Okay, so he doesn't even go to hell after that. Uh, well, well he, what's hell? He gets, he gets stuck in the abyss. Uh, yeah. So, that doesn't happen until after Christ's thousand-year reign, when he's let out of the abyss, and still, that's when he rebels. That's when he's actually thrown into hell, correct? We're quoting this from Revelation. We're all referring to this happening in Revelation, people. Well, Aaron, I've had a pretty good time. How about you? Oh, yeah. What do you want the next show to be about? I mean, we talked a little bit about genetics today. We couldn't get around it. But what are you thinking for the next show? I'm imagining around the events concerning... The fall of man. But we have a bunch of different things we could talk about. But it's so... Those first three chapters of Genesis are mind-blowing. <laughs> they're yeah. all over the place. Yeah, they're, they're TNT for sure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is where we will cut off this Christian conspiracy theory. I hope you did enjoy. I hope we didn't upset you. We had some uh, bad comments on the YouTube version of this. 
Uh, Aaron and I are sorry about that. We didn't mean to upset anybody. Um, I certainly do speak uh, as the Bible, as the fact of the matter. And I know that upsets some people, but I'm not trying to upset anybody. But uh, you're free to post your comments. You're free to certainly state your opinion. Uh, I just do uh, request that, for my son's sake, you try not to use the vulgar language. Uh, until next time, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew and Aaron, signing off. God bless. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.